Hello and welcome to A Conversation With, the place where I have a conversation with someone that I'm a fan of and find out more about their story. Tonight, I am joined by filmmaker, podcaster, a man who never misses his daily exercises, the original cool kid, and a guy whose default setting is, of course, Bobo Nasty Style. Chris Strader is here. Chris, thank you and welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. What an intro. Wow. <laughs> for anyone that doesn't know, you uh, famously led uh, the Hey Do You Remember podcast for eight years, released just under 200 episodes, and that's not including bonus content and much more with your co-hosts Donna and Carlos. And you were revisiting movies from your childhood and seeing how you know they held up today uh, and quite simply it is my favorite all-time podcast to speak to you like a personal holy grail milestone of podcasting yeah i'm really excited to have this conversation but before we get to any of that stuff if we were to take it all the way back how did you first fall in love with filmmaking i mean i know i know it has a lot to do with batman but i mean <laughs> it does how did that transcend through to, you know, where you are today? Batman was kind of like my the big moment where things shifted from just being a fan of movies to really being interested in how movies were made. I mean, that realization that there are people out there doing this. It was the movie that made me start paying attention to names and credits. You know, with that one specifically, it's it, Tim Burton and oh, this composer, Danny Elfman. And you see those names pop up and other stuff. And now I'm immediately interested. And I know it's kind of a, a silly entry point, but I was seven years old when I saw that um, in a theater. It was just an incredibly overwhelming experience. And then I can trace that back. I mean, that's sort of the Rosetta Stone for all of this other stuff I wound up being interested in. The aesthetics of movies that resonate with me, um, the other types of filmmakers I got into. I can kind of trace it all back to that moment. And then part of that, once once I had that experience with Batman, um, it's not just like everything completely changed. I was just... Even the way I would play with my action figures, um, it was no longer just playtime. It was a TV show or it was a movie. It always had to be. Before we could get into the adventure, I would make the figures pose for the opening credits. And even like with the Batman one in particular, I mean, there were like these season-long arcs and I would play music along with it. And there would be these uh, like season finale cliffhangers. And it was just like, and I'm just going to put these toys away for the summer. That was the finale. And uh, and then maybe we'll come back if we get picked up. And, and, uh, and then that extended into playing with my friends too we had like a group of my friends we had this uh we were really into medieval knights and all of that stuff and so that's what we would play and i decided that that was also a tv show it was called the dark ages and i would do the same thing before we could start playing i would make my friends pose for the credits and it was just, it must have just been like who invited this kid like what <laughs> i what do you mean i'm not holding the sword cinematically enough. What are we doing here? Uh, let's go kill some orcs. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just like that kind of, I was always looking at the world that way. And so I don't think it was ever even a question of what it was I was going to do. I mean, I, or try to do. And so that very naturally led into 
film school and all of that. And then, I mean, the day I graduated film school, I left my last class and walked across the street and um, the woman who would become my wife, uh, she was my producing partner and we were holding auditions for the very, very first movie I started making as soon as I graduated. So, uh yeah. yeah well, hang on, hang on. We, you, we've got to unpack it a little bit. So, <laughs> okay. I mean, what, what, when you say film schools, I'm, I'm sure that there are, uh, you know, comparisons here in the UK, but I'm assuming it's a lot, it's different out there in, in, in the US. But like, what does film school comprise of? Like, how long does that take? How many years is that? Well, there's how long it's supposed to take and then there's how long it took for me because um, so I it's a four year program where I went, which was uh, Columbia here in Chicago. And um, I went for a year and a half. I was also playing in a band at the time and thought, you know, I I thought I was going to be a rock star. So I dropped out of school to commit full time to the band. All of these decisions, you can imagine my parents were just like so on board with. I mean, my whole (laughs) life, it was like when I was a really little kid, it's like, I want to draw comic books. Okay. And like, I'm going to be an actor. Yeah, sure you are. I actually know I want to be a director. Great. I'm going to be a rock star. Just every one of these. It's like, I think these are getting worse. Um, And so, but yeah, that's what I did. I took like a year off and uh, surprise to no one but me, uh, that did not pan out. Um, I wound up in Carbondale uh, at another college at Southern Illinois University for English education. I let some people talk me into being an English teacher did about a year of that, realized I was absolutely miserable. So it was just a long way around to go to wind up right back where I started, which was at Columbia. And by the time I got back that second time, though, I mean, it was do or die time. And especially because so many people around me were just like, what is going on with you? I mean, what the hell kind of path are you even on here? Um, so I was so committed to it. I did not want to let anybody down. And, um, just, so I had like two more years, two and a half years left of that. And, um, that in particular was, was amazing. And the thing about Columbia, what was kind of cool when I started there, and this is before YouTube was as prevalent, um, as it is now. I mean, honestly, if somebody, if an up and coming filmmaker asked me my opinion of film school now, I would say there really is no reason to go. The information is available and it is free and you know even the part that was so important to me while I was there which was making connections and networking and everything even that you don't really need to go to school for anymore so um but the great thing about it at that point was it was really really vital to be making those connections to be meeting cinematographers and editors and you know and um also getting a real appreciation for this is even, I sound like a dinosaur, but this is like right at the beginning of digital filmmaking becoming more of a thing. But when I was there, they still start you out shooting on 16 millimeter film. And so learning to use a Bolex camera, actually shooting on film, um, and then editing, literally cutting and splicing, cutting your film with a razor blade putting it in the little machine, splicing it, running it through a projector to see if the cut works. Shit, no, I need to remove like three frames. Um, That whole process, oh man, I mean, it was agonizing, but it it really fundamentally shaped the way I, I 
edit or even shoot things because I always had to be very conscious of I only have this much film and they're not going to give me extra roles. And with editing, because it was such a laborious process, it was like you really had to think about all of this stuff. And even now when everything's digital, you can just leave the camera running and just one take after another, after another, after another, and even getting into editing. And it's amazing that, you know, that it's, you have nothing but time and you, and you can just try anything. But I do think having that more disciplined introduction to all of it, um, that really, that really served me well. So, um, but I mean, yeah, I can't even remember what your original question was. Uh, Four-year program, pretty standard. Uh, yeah. Well, okay. So let's just hypothetically say that music had panned out. Do you think that you naturally would have ended up back in filmmaking anyway? Yeah, a hundred percent. Yes, there's no question. Because the thing I love most about making movies is that it encompasses everything that I love. Um, the because I also I like painting and photography and making art and the visual component, obviously a huge thing, but also, yeah, the music side of it. Um, I, I love composing and I love sound design in particular is, um, like that's a really big passion of mine and writing and just, yeah, it's everything. It combines everything that I love. So playing in a band, I mean, that was a fun detour for a while, but I do think eventually, I mean, it's like just looking back again, I, the fact that when I talk about how I played with my action figures and everything, all roads, I think, led to this. It was inevitable. And so then what was the first like movie, film, short film or whatever that it was that you produced when you finished film school? Um, <laughs> it's just it's kind of embarrassing. It was... Uh, It was a Batman movie Um, and it was like the idea was to do something that was kind of like a hard R, black and white, neo-noir sort of thing. Um, And, you know, honestly, I don't I don't think it's terrible to be embarrassed about that stuff. I think that's how you should feel. I mean, if I if I could still stand firmly behind something I made that long ago, I I think that would be a bigger issue. Um so yeah, there was actually a lot about it. I I'm, I'm still really um impressed that we were able to pull off. There's a lot about it that makes me cringe now also, but I'll say this. So that was I mean, it was a really ambitious project and going through all the years of film school and all the movies I made as part of that uh, curriculum. I mean, that's one thing and sitting in classrooms and watching movies and talking about them. That's helpful, but that only gets you so far. It really, I mean, the actually going and making something on your own, you know, the, the nine months or whatever that we spent doing that. I think I learned more in through the process of doing that than I did the entire time I was at film school. I mean, the, that education was, that was part of the foundation, but that's the other thing too, that I would, I would tell um, an aspiring filmmaker now is not only is all of the educational stuff so easy to access, but just go, just pick up a camera and start doing stuff because that really, that 
that wound up feeling more like my film school. I, the lessons we learned doing that, I mean, that's a lot of that is what has, has carried through even to this day. Yeah, for sure. I mean, practical experience is always going to be, you know, things that you've read about, you know, to actually feel it and live it is always going to be more impactful. So yeah, I, I fully agree. I mean, so you you then you go on and you know you've made several films are these are these available anywhere or are these you know so, yeah, on a hard drive somewhere no some of them are and um i i'm kind of torn on this i do think eventually we'll hit a point where i do start taking down some of the older stuff um the reason i haven't already is that when we started 27th letter which is our production company. I mean, the idea was short films, web series, you know, um, podcasting that didn't even exist when, when we started doing all of that. And then because the podcast kind of took off, I kind of got, I found myself on this eight year detour of going down that road. I mean, I really did not have a lot of time for other stuff. And so it's only now that I feel like we're getting back to, what the original intention was. And I think the more content we start producing the video stuff, the easier it'll be to go back and, and take down some of the older work. Um, I'm going to be honest. I, the, the desire to, to make a Batman movie, like I really don't feel like I nailed it. That temptation is still there. Um, I have not written that off as a possibility. That little demon comes to visit me pretty frequently. Um, but the thing about having some of that stuff up now, at least for the moment, is I also think there's value in being able to look at where someone started and how something evolved. Because I think the thing that stops a lot of people from um, really going after any creative goal they might have is it's so dangerous to compare where you're starting from to you know, with somebody you're not like necessarily like looking up to her or whatever, but like something that is a, a source of inspiration to you, you know, it, it's, that's not really a fair comparison. And so, you know, I think, I think it's helpful to, like I said, to be able to look at the way someone else evolved and to realize that you're probably not going to nail it <laughs> your first time out. We certainly didn't. Um, and just really the importance of, to just keep moving, to just keep pushing forward with all of this stuff a great example of that that's relative i guess to me and to you in a way is well definitely to you is i've got that from you from podcasting in terms of listening to your podcast not just hey do you remember but also you know rogues gallery and you know other things that you've been on and you know everyone in 27th letter it's inspiring and you know other podcasts that I enjoy as well and so when me and Dom who's not here but you know my co-host when we normally team up on things when we started only you know about a year and a half ago to listen to any of that stuff now it feels embarrassing and it was only a year and a half ago you know yeah. and I'm sure in two years time from now things that were not not your part of this podcast but I'm sure my own parts you know I'll find things where I would be, you know, critical and feel like I could do those things better. But as you said, that only comes with practice and experience and time and putting and involving and becoming better. And so, 
yeah, I fully get that. And it's, and I said this to Carlos, but you guys always make it look so easy, effortless. And something that I always have always really respected about your podcast is your editing of it, because you can tell that you there's no there's no filler in there. You know, even we go on tangents and things, but they're hilarious or, you know, they're they're on the point or they're they're arcing round to the point of you know the podcast or all the stories you're telling etc where with our stuff we're lazy with it because we put it out every week and we do it's like three hours a week so we can't we pretty much just edit out gaps and just put it out but i always appreciate the fact that you took your time with it and they're timeless like your podcast episodes like hey do you remember they're timeless episodes you could listen to them at any point in time and they stick because you're talking about something that is stuck in time. Like you're talking about a movie or a TV show that is there in the 90s, in the late 80s or, or whenever. And you're giving your opinions to it. And because of that, your podcast, ha- podcast has so much replay value. Like your Little Giants episode, for example. I love that movie. It was a big <laughs> one for me when I was a kid. But I've listened to your episode on it like eight or nine times. Because it's like, oh my it's almost like... God. <laughs> it's like comfort food to me it's like wow. if i'm cleaning or something and it's like ah, oh, if i'm doing a, a chore around the house or something or walking my dog or whatever then I'm, I'm i'm gonna take an hour and a half it's like why i can listen to this and it's just gonna be comforting <laughs> i mean does is that surreal to hear yeah i mean it, it is it's very flattering i i that really means a lot it's but it's like and I've heard this before and um, that there are certain episodes listeners have listened to a couple times. And I just, I don't think I've ever done that with any podcast episode ever. So it is kind of, that's a pretty trippy idea to me, but I mean, to the original point, like, you know, that when I think about the first year or two of the show and the importance of kind of just starting something and figuring out, as you go rather than waiting for something to be perfect before you put it out there, which is just never going to happen. Um, that it does mean though, that, you know, even several years into doing the show, man, <laughs> thinking about some of those early episodes was just like, Oh God, it's like, you you just, you almost don't want people to listen to them because it feels like things had, had already changed so much, just like three or four years into it. And the other really crazy thing about that is, you know, after we were seven, eight years into doing the show, because people were just discovering it, I would be getting messages from somebody about something I said eight years ago. And so it was like, not only do I not 100% remember exactly what they're talking about, but I'm not sure I even agree with what <laughs> I, what old, what the, that version of me said. I mean, there, that's, that's one of the things about the podcast that is sometimes um, it gives me a little bit of anxiety is opinions that were expressed, language that was used, just things I eventually and partially because of hearing them on the show that just made me go like, ooh, ah, yeah, I don't like the way that word sounds coming out of my mouth. I'm not going to say that anymore or just, you know, you you learn a lot about yourself when you have to listen to yourself for that long. And, um, but it's, it's there. It's, we're not trying to hide any of it, but, um, 
yeah, there are there are a couple of, of moments from some of those early, early episodes that it just like ugh, the idea of people hearing them. It's just like, ah, listen to a few more. Don't judge us just on that one. <laughs> <laughs> and that is always something that can make you feel anxious because people want to start at the beginning. You know, they want to yeah. be in it from from the off. I mean, I loved I love all of the the eras, let's say, of Hey, Do You Remember? I actually discovered your podcast just by putting in the Mighty Ducks 2 into iTunes yeah. just to see if something would come up. And it came up and yours was the first one that came up. I listened to that one. I loved it. And then just went through and listened to like all of the the ones of movies that, that I knew, which was probably about half of them. And then there was uh, films that I'd never heard of and that I'd never seen. But it upset me that I can't listen to that podcast episode about watching the movie. So I would go and buy the movie, watch it, to then listen to the podcast. And through that, I, I watched some strange, strange films. <laughs> that, <laughs> like Once Bitten, for example, I'd never heard oh, yeah. of that. Yeah. Adventures in Babysitting, I'd never heard of that. But I really oh, enjoyed wow. that one. Uh, and loads that I really enjoyed. Um, and there's still movies that I need to watch. So there's still episodes I haven't been able to listen to, and I'm dedicated to complete the catalog. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a crazy thing that your opinions there will will live forever. But something that I have to commend you on as well is your vulnerability to tell your own personal stories on the podcast and sometimes stories where you know you were like the villain so to speak of the story you know not really the villain you know most of them was when no i yeah there's one in particular that just immediately came to mind that i just i mean that was kind of the point of telling the story was this was a moment where i made the wrong choice where i did a bad thing well and i think most often everyone sees themselves as the hero of their own story and can sometimes paint the picture and, and, and blend things, but actually quite, and then there's people to the other extreme where they always paint themselves as the villain when really they're not, you know, it's just like the tricks that our mind can play on us. But I think sharing those stories, those are the things that draw, draw people to your podcast because it's personal because you know, if you want to, people can hear anyone talk about The Mask or Die Hard or whatever, though you guys speak about it better than anyone I've heard speak about it because you speak about it in a way that makes it make sense. Like you changed my opinions on things because I had never really thought about it in that way. And sometimes that's a great thing because it's like, you know, oh, okay, I didn't appreciate this part of Pulp Fiction or I didn't appreciate how actually that camera move did, did this. And then other times it can not be so great because it's like, oh no, some of the illusion's gone. But it's sort <laughs> of, uh, you know, all it's it was so intricate. But those stories really help help connect because... It's like, well, yeah, I have stories like that and everyone has stories like that. So to hear other people have gone through it is really helpful. And especially like uh, the Road to Gotham episode. I mean, I never thought that a podcast could, you know, make make me feel that emotional. And it was just so brave. I mean, when you were telling these stories, like, was it cathartic for you? Was it helping you to, you know, like decompartmentalize them? Or did you just, or that's just how you are? You just wanted to enjoy you know, reminiscing on these things? Um, it's hard now to think about the really, really early days of the show, but I do think there was some element of the way this all started, which was with absolutely no expectations. I mean, just the idea of having a podcast 
was not new. I mean, but it was definitely before it really blew up. Um, and as we never expected to the idea of like, oh, how many people might listen to this monetizing it? Oh, forget it. I mean, that was never a part of the conversation ever. And so I think in the early days, I mean, it, it may be there wasn't even that much thought going into it because in those days, sit in front of a, a microphone with my my friends and at a certain point, you just forget the microphone's even there. I'm just having a conversation with my friends and there's not a lot of thought to the fact that then this thing goes out into the world. Like people are going to find this potentially. Um, that that just wasn't a huge consideration as weird as it it seems now. And but then even when it was clear that we were developing a little bit of a following and there were certain things that listeners seemed to be responding to. It's so bizarre. This is so contradictory. Um, and this, I, I guess it's not specific to the podcast, but it's like, it's so weird the ways in which I think I am actually a very private person. Um, and in some respects, a very introverted person, which I'll bet no one that listened to that podcast, that's not a word they would use to describe me, but it's true. But simultaneous to that, I mean, like I... I'm also, I never had any qualms about sharing any of that stuff, any of those really embarrassing stories. Um, and it, I mean, cause I knew going into it, I thought that would be the more interesting and entertaining way to go. Like no one wants to hear the story where like, I, I did a good deed or, you know, I was really awesome. That's, that's not going to play. You want to hear about, you know, the times I humiliated myself or did a stupid thing or said a stupid thing. Um, and then I, I just, I never, I never really thought twice about sharing that stuff. And some of it, maybe I should have, um, but I just didn't. And I, and it's so weird the ways in which I have always been willing to be very open, just like with my friends, because I've been telling these stories like my whole life. Um, and then eventually to strangers, to all of these strangers on the internet and just feeling like, ah, let her rip. I don't care. I'll, <laughs> I will talk about anything on this podcast. I don't care. And then just at the same time in my own life, kind of, but I still needed a little bit of a wall up between me and the listeners sometimes, or just like, you know, the, it, it's, this sounds so stupid, but really kind of reconciling the two identities you know the the chris from the podcast that the listeners had maybe felt like they formed some sort of relationship with um or who they thought i was based on this podcast and then who like i really was in in my own life and sometimes those were two like really different things so again it feels very contradictory to be like i and i i was aware of this as the show was running, it's just like, it is so strange. I can just, I can sit down and talk about all of this stuff. And then at the same time, be this person who feels like, you know, I, I, my cell phone isn't even in the room because I don't like being available all the time. My social media presence is like almost nothing. It's just, it's very, very strange. I totally get that. And I think sometimes it's easier to tell embarrassing things and stories like that to strangers than it is to people that you know, or people that you partly know, because people that you know, or partly know you that you feel the more judgmental because they have one one image of you and then you're telling them information that 
might distort the image, you know, or maybe we are thinking that and, and putting that opinion onto them, even though if it's not true. Whereas if you if you're just saying it to the void and saying it to strangers, it's like, well, it's judgment free because, hey, you don't know me. You know, you're you're knowing this information, but I'm not judging myself on it. It's something where I kind of take that role within our podcast, but it's different because because we're talking about One Tree Hill. It's a it's a teen drama. I don't know how familiar you are with it. I mean, I've I've heard of it. I've never seen it. But yeah, I mean, I know what it is. Right, right. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's based on adolescence. So a lot of our stories are things from those times, you know, doing dumb things as, as teenagers, where the stories you're telling are generally more, you know, younger, like when you're when you're a kid. And this is something that I wanted to ask is, and I don't know what your future is within, I know you are podcasting still, but if you would ever do other projects, but what I would be like dying to know and I'm sure other people are is what Chris was like as a teenager because we kind of know a lot about you as a kid so I mean did these crazy stories continue I mean I'm sure that they did (laughs) yeah I mean and there is like my best friend throughout most of high school and into college would frequently remark I mean we we get involved in some sort of crazy misadventure and he would just kind of shake his head and be like this only happens when i'm with you why did <laughs> what what is going on so yeah i guess there is kind of a running theme there i don't know i i mean yeah that that could be interesting those are certainly you know like that would be the mix of light and dark from that era um there might be something to that because yeah there are a lot of the really the the funny hijinks and all of that. But um, that was also just uh, like a really, I mean, I I think for everybody, it's a a particularly insecure moment in your life. And especially as like these things about your identity suddenly take on way more importance than they ever have or ever will ever again, where it's so much about liking the right stuff and, you know, dressing the right way and all just all of the, it was a really, I, you know, I, there are, I am actually not a, uh, a huge fan of the person I was as a teenager. Um, I think I had a lot of really misdirected anger um, that, you know, I, unfortunately, like I just... I had a lot of relationships that were damaged because of it. Just a lot of things. There's a lot about that period. That's like kind of tough to look back on. And I want, I've never thought about it, but I wonder if that's why more of those stories weren't told in the show, because a lot of them are just, they, they make me a little bit sad. It was a little bit darker of a time. Um, but I, there's probably value in that too. Cause I think a lot of that is, or some of it would be, would be pretty universal. Well, and you've also, you don't have to do anything, you know, your your privacy is your own. And uh, I'm sure that people will generally be interested. And I think what what it always did for me is it endeared me to you further. I mean, again, I, this is really strange and such a like millennial type situation of like <laughs> being endeared to someone. This is the first time I've spoken to you, you know, like it's uh, it's very odd, but... 
it it just made you more likable because i i feel similar like my teenage years i i didn't like the person i was then either like it feels like evolutions of the version that you are you know and and as you get older and you know i don't think i felt truly comfortable with myself until i was in sort of my late 20s early 30s and a lot of that was to do with you know i met my wife when i I was 22 so i kind of see myself as being with her for like my whole adult life I mean I'm 34 now but you know that's like that whole chunk you know post uh, we call it university but you know college I hear you I think that sometimes it's hard to look back on some of those times and it's e- it's easier to look back on some of the more lighter hijinks you know sort of stuff that happened at ki- when, when we're kids but some of those periods where yeah you're finding yourself and there's all these pressures uh, I mean you know potentially even more pressures now with you know social media and online bullying and all the horrible things that kids have to try and dodge and be protected from it's just tough it's it's It's, i can't even imagine the the things i said and expressed as a 17 year old if that were preserved somewhere oh shit like (laughs) no one needs to know any of that and you know what i think one of the big differences is too is there's a lot of you know the the stupid things you say and do as a kid i mean there's like an element of innocence to it because you're you're figuring stuff out and you're making a lot of mistakes and certainly some of that carries over into the teenage years too but i think there's a lot about that era where stuff that was maybe kind of adorable before is like, well, now you're just an asshole. (laughs) Now you just sound like an asshole. And, um, and I think I was, I mean, for, for, I, I really, in particular from like junior year of high school, probably all the way through my first year of college. Um, I, I just, I do not relate to that person all it's like it's really really hard to look back on that period in particular and to try and unpack what exactly was going on there and i just that's that person is like a stranger to me and um yeah i don't know i you know and as as far as like other podcasts and and all of that i don't know that it would necessarily be anything we're talking about here but um that is something that's definitely in the back of my mind, I do love the format. Um, I really, really am still into the idea of 27th Letter being a podcast network. And so I do want to grow that. And there have been conversations happening about what shape that's going to take, what that might look like. And although part of what's really exciting to me at this moment is doing stuff that's a little bit more in the fiction space, um, like audio dramas and that kind of thing, Definitely, you know, I'm very aware that one of the key elements of Hey, Do You Remember was that, you know, the autobiographical nature of a lot of it and trying to figure out if there's another way to tap into that that isn't too close to what we've already done. I would be so down for that. I would be so interested in doing something like that. I just, you know, I'm probably still too close to... Hey, do you remember in that whole situation and um, still sorting through a lot of those feelings and just kind of taking a, a little bit of a uh, a deep breath here before I figure out exactly what 
those next steps are going to look like. Yeah, for sure. I mean, eight years is a massive chunk of time. You know, most people change jobs, you know, every couple of years, you know, it's, it's, and not that it yeah. was a job, but, you know, being committed to want to something for that period of time is amazing. And I mean, you said in the final like wrap up show for Hey, do you remember that, you know, there were different periods and, you know, you thought some of the quality was better than others, etc. I just have to say, I thought it, I, there's never been an episode I've listened to that I haven't thought was good, like in terms of the, the content of what was being said, how things were, you know, being critiqued and, and everything. It, ne- it never seemed that way. I really appreciate that. I honestly, I thank you so much for saying that. Have you listened to the Giver episode? No, I haven't <laughs> there seen that. There you one. go. All right, now, that makes a lot of sense. Why don't we? Why don't we revisit this after you've been through the whole catalog? <laughs> okay, yeah, well, we can do a part two when I've uh, yeah caught up on the others. You know, if think, things that we said when we were younger, if that was all cemented somewhere in you know uh, message boards and whatever i i fully agree with that and i fear that i mean my wife and i we have a we have a son and he's only eight months it's eight month baby i like worry for him already that he's gonna go through childhood and adolescence and all these things and it's just gonna be commonplace to everything's messages everything's emailed and whatsapped and all these kind of things I mean, he's probably not on the emails as a child but you know but you know it's going to be on all all these different platforms and it's just there it's like there's there's no grace for mistakes anymore you know and it's like well but you have to go through that to evolve and to to learn that you know these things aren't the way and of course that's our role as parents is to help guide him yeah and a, and a big part of that will be probably no you're not going to have a phone for a very long time because i want you to be free but it's a scary four absolutely well and i think what you said about it, i mean it's just they won't question it because it'll be a thing that was just always there my generation i mean we were we remember life before all of this stuff I have to ask you this, and I know the answer is because, you know, you wasn't into it for the money. You weren't monetizing it like it was a business. And all of these things are super commendable. And I love that. And it's, you know, the same. I like I enjoy doing this as like a passion project and a hobby. And I love it. But I have to ask, (laughs) hey, do you remember Hoodie? Like I'm the sort of person that likes to have tangible things like clearly, you know, things that I love. And uh, I have... I have the cool kids sticker up here on a pin board. I bought the 27th letter productions t-shirt because, you know, I thought that was like close to, you know, having the logo. But why was there never just a, hey, do you remember hoodie with just the logo on? And is it too late? Can I just buy one? (laughs) There are two reasons for this. Um, the, The big one is because obviously when you first lock into the idea of, doing merch i mean this is the first obvious idea the logo like we'll just and um i tried and the thing is because like you said we weren't thinking about monetizing this or real i mean it was just because we were kind of fumbling our way through this in the beginning when i made the logo um i was not thinking about printing it at any point on on clothing or i mean anything so there just was no consideration given to um what dimensions it should be how big the image should be so the original that image it was just too 
small and also the gradient on it, the colors, it just didn't look good. And I tested it with several different printing places before the the one we settled on, which was far and away the one that had the best quality for for the the designs we actually went with. And there were several, there were several designs we attempted that looked really good in, in the little preview and everything. But when they actually shipped samples, it was just like, ah, oh man. And it was just really obvious. These are the ones that really pop, that look good. Um, and these are the ones that just, ah, oh, they just don't work. And the logo was the one that we, numerous, numerous attempts and it just never looked right. And so what I was left with was because it was like, it would have been nice to go back to that original Photoshop file and then just kind of start a new one and carry over like, oh, this is the font and this is the effect I used on this layer. But that computer had crashed like years ago at the point we were doing merch. So it was like trying to redo it from the ground up and it was never an exact match. And I even thought for the purposes of printing shirts, just a solid color, we could at least get the font, but just a solid color. And I got to tell you, all of it just looked <laughs> like bootleg merchandise. It looked like somebody, it's like when you go to the United Center here for a Bulls game and there are people outside the stadium selling all of this knockoff merch where it's like, I, from far away, it looks like the Bulls logo. And then you get closer and you're like, I think that's a clip art of a cow that they colored <laughs> red. And it's like the Bulls has one L in it. And you're like, eh, no, um, that's what all of these other attempts looked like. It looked like bootleg, unofficial, hey, do you remember merchandise? I just didn't love it. And the other reason, too, was I really loved the idea of merchandise like the designs that were built around inside jokes or references from the show for two reasons i love that because if you're wearing it and someone else who knows the show sees it there's that that recognition of like ah ah i got that reference that there's mm-hmm. an immediate connection between the two you're like in you're in that cool kids club um <laughs> and then the other reason is then even if they they aren't familiar with it if you're wearing a shirt that says Hey, do you remember? Somebody reads it and goes, yes. And then they go on with their life. If you're wearing a shirt that says Karen's Soccer Mom Club, um, it's like, what is that? <laughs> it's, it's a conversation starter. And then maybe this person who had no idea what the podcast was is like, that sounds kind of interesting. I'm going to check it out. So that was a factor as well. Having these things that were more inside jokes than they were just billboards advertising the show. And I'm still really just, that's the kind of stuff I like to own too. I don't want a a shirt that says Jessica Jones. I want one that says alias investigations. Like that's just more the kind of stuff I'm, I'm into, but man, I, you're not the first person to ask for something like that. And would that I could, believe me, it was, it, it was the very first thing we tried. Uh, that's, that's a great answer. And that makes total sense. Yeah, that and and I I also like those things where you have something that people don't know. I like I do prop collecting uh, because I'm really cool. <laughs> <laughs> sarcasm. There's heavy sarcasm on there, but I ha- I like having some things that I can have in my everyday life that no one actually knows that it is that thing. Yeah, 
but I know that it's that thing. Yeah, I've got some strange examples of things like that. I have in, it freaks my wife out, but in our garage, I have a pair of Adam Sandler's shoes, just in case I want to walk a mile in them. You know, <laughs> yeah, she thinks they're pretty gross, but you know they're there, and no one knows they're his shoes. I know, you know now, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I no, I love it. I actually, I totally get that. I mean, maybe not like someone's shoes specifically, but uh, that sounds like that's you want great. me to send you one of his shoes. Do you want the left or the right? Which oh, one? Oh man, it would in? be like the turtle doves in Home Alone too. <laughs> you have one, and I have one, and we always know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's such a, it's a weird thing. <laughs> okay well that aren't that answers that i wanted to ask about the patreon like for the bonus content is that something that you're thinking of that you're just going to keep there so that people can access the the additional stuff or yeah how how is that going to work um you mean as far as what happens to it now yeah like i like i would kind of be devastated if it like if there was not a way to be able to this because if for people again for people that don't know you had you know bonus content like off the clock and like i love some of the episodes when i loved all of them but in particular ones where you were covering some of like the current films he did like an episode on like once upon a time in hollywood right mm-hmm. and you know movies that were out in the cinema so uh yeah so what will that content be available in some form going forward? we tried figuring this out um you know a way for people to download all of those you know pay like 10 15 bucks or something and be able to download all of them um we just i I couldn't find a good way to do that it wound up being really really complicated and um i think the longer those conversations went on the more it seemed like the three of us were kind of thinking maybe it was all right to just leave it as this special thing that had existed for the patrons. And, um, I loved doing like, cause we didn't want to, and maybe some of the listeners would have preferred this, but we didn't want to just do like premium episodes of the show that already existed. We wanted the show to be free for everyone always. And so any additional content, that's when we locked into the idea of doing more of a spin-off podcast that the reason it was called off the clock wasn't just because, Hey, we're done putting in our time with the main show. It was also like, in a way we're free from the restriction of looking at eighties and nineties movies. It's like there, we can, we'll talk about anything, whatever we're watching. Um, and more than that, I think a lot of, because a lot of those episodes got super vulnerable as well. And it was less about things that had already happened to us, like telling stories from our childhood. And that was more about things that were happening like right at that moment. And there was something different about that. And that I think the longer the show went on, the Patreon community, those folks, that sort of felt like family. And, um, you know, when the show started, for a long time, it was really easy to, um, I could associate names and faces, I, even these people I didn't know that were just discovering our podcast. You know, when there's, when you've only got like a, a couple hundred people tuning in, um, you 
you get some sense of who those people are and there are relationships that are formed. And especially with some of those listeners that went way back with us, that followed us all the way through and were some of the first patrons that signed up, um, those those weren't just listeners. I mean, those were real people to us. Those were friends. And, um, and like I said, I mean, they felt like family. I mean, one of the things I miss most about doing the show is those regular listeners, those ones we, we had known from way back, um, just, you know, a lot of, a lot of them kind of dropped off. I mean, we don't have a, a way to, we're not in touch. And so I miss that. I miss what's, you know, knowing what's going on with, with some of them. And, um, what I said earlier about kind of backing off the social media at one point, it was because things just got too big. I mean, it, like I was so grateful and so overwhelmed that the show was catching on to the degree that it was, but, um, it was also difficult in a lot of ways. And it was just a lot of the comments being left. It was like, I don't know this person. I don't know that name. I just, I have no concept of who this is. And, um, that just, that changed. And it kind of changed my relationship to the show a little bit. But meanwhile, it was like, so, but when the Patreon was running, it was like really great to feel like this is the family. And it's like, we're all around this, this dinner table catching up. And then when we do these main episodes, that's like the great big family reunion, all the extended family comes in and the cousins you don't know as well. But um, like, and that's more of the dynamic that it took on. And so to me, it did just feel like maybe this should just be this special thing that existed for us and for these people in this moment. And, and then that was it. And because there are some things that I think were discussed in some of those episodes that it's like, I don't know that that was for everyone. I mean, that was very specifically with the patrons in mind. And um, there were some things shared there that it's like, I, I don't know that I need these people that I really have absolutely no relationship with Um being privy to some of this and not in a way where it's like, I mean, like I said, I'll talk about anything. I'll share anything, but it, that's just not what was in mind when we were recording that stuff. It was a more intimate thing. And I know this must sound really, really silly, but um, I think that's kind of where we landed on that is we all felt pretty similar about that. But um, it's not like those files disappeared. I still have them. Everything's backed up. And so if we change our mind um, at some point and decide, you know, maybe we are all okay with letting that stuff go out there. Or again, if it's like for, um, you know, a, a certain price point, letting people buy it if they want to, just because they want more content from the three of us. Um, it's not totally off the table, but it's just... I don't know. And maybe it's because we were just all extra emotional with the show ending and everything that it, everything was just a little heightened that um, that that felt like the right choice at the time. It, that makes it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense to me. And like we said earlier, to sort of put it back, not everything has to be cemented forever on the Internet, you know, and like you're saying, if some of these things are, you know, were more personal and, and I know. I feel like I know what you I I listened to all of them uh so I feel like I know what you're talking about and you know that there were some things that that were more personal and yeah like you said some of those things they don't need to be there like they they were add-ons it was for the time so yeah I think it's totally what you feel comfortable with yeah 
I mean, there's some of them. There are definitely some of them that it's like that don't get really heavy, that are just, they're more in line with what we did on the main show. And um, I, I don't know. I Like I said, it's this is not a definitive final decision on any of this. It's just where we're at currently. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Lucy Chandler, or Chandler, as you would say. <laughs> I, let her rip. Please don't be self-conscious about it. I think it sounds great. I'm being totally sincere. So you've got two episodes published at the moment that, that are available on YouTube. Uh, how many episodes total is it going to be? Um, I There will be at least 12. And just because, and I say, it, the only reason it's like in flux is as these things get edited, sometimes they wind up being a little shorter, a little longer than I expected. And so depending on how this continues to evolve, um, it may wind up being 13, but I think 12. And actually, depending on when this goes up, um, the third episode will probably be out. It's it's imminent. Um, and yeah, so we shot it all at once. It's been done I mean, it's been filmed. <laughs> that part's been done for a long time. And now the post-production is just this ongoing thing where um, I'm just, I'm putting them out as I finish them. But there's like, it's, it was like for a long time, it was trying to juggle that with, hey, do you remember, with the bonus content for Patreon. And then eventually with Rogue's Gallery as well, trying to keep all of these plates spinning. And that clearly was just not, sustainable and um you know a real life just has a habit of rearing its head and stealing my attention even when the focus is just on the web series but um yeah the new episode is done and really truly hopefully at this point we can start rolling these things out much quicker than we have been up to this point so i'll I'll have the links to all of that uh below so people go and check it out how long is it taking to film each one of these episodes is it something that you're imagining it would be like three or four months between each release of the episodes or the filming's done we finished filming um everything all 12 episodes we shot it like yeah so it was we we shot it as if it was a feature and so um you know any the locations that pop up throughout the series we just shot all of that stuff at once and um so we finished production um in february of last year like right before everything just shut down and um so we got very lucky and so now it's just it's the process of going through all of that footage and there's there's a lot we shot a lot and there's <laughs> a lot that goes into the post production of these episodes i mean probably way more than is even evident when when you watch them but um yeah so the show is is we've got everything shot and now it's like just trying to tighten up that window in between episodes because the original plan was it was written all at once it was shot all at once and the plan was i'm just going to edit it all at once as well then you know break it up into these chapters that i had figured out and then just sit back and release them and then i'd be on to working on whatever the next thing was while we were releasing these episodes and then it just became really clear that this was going to be such an intensive process and so many people 
helped out on this. I mean, there's something crazy, like 50 speaking roles across these 12 episodes and people that had been waiting for this for a long time. And it just felt like I know in many ways it puts us at a disadvantage to release them this way. But it feels like in a lot of other ways, maybe the best thing to do here is what I said about just as they're done, put them up. And um, so it's a little frustrating not to have like a set release schedule because, you know, I mean, even this episode that was is just about to come out, there was just a lot of time I could not work on it. I just, circumstances just did not allow it and unforeseen stuff too. So the idea of trying to be um, married to any sort of concrete release schedule with this, it just feels inevitable. At some point we'd have to be like, oops, sorry, this came up. And so, um, yeah, it's like every time one of these finishes, I turn my attention to the next one and it's kind of in some ways like starting a brand new short film from scratch all over again and just trying to get everything all together, but um, it is coming along, and so yeah, that's awesome. That's so so cool. Are you thinking that this is going to be used as your as like a portfolio of like your current work that you would? I mean, would you want to do filmmaking for you know studios, or do you want to always produce your own content, or both, or what? What would be like the ultimate goal? I'm open to so many things at this point because this is you know being in the podcasting space for eight years, made a lot of really great connections, had a lot of really amazing opportunities come my way because of doing that show. Um, but now shifting gears into this sort of thing, which is really what my heart is in and to just being more open to, okay, so like what kind of networking can we do here? What sort of opportunities or services can we provide in this space? And I'll say that when we conceived of this project, it was a lot like Haiti Remember, where there was not a lot of consideration given to um, the end destination. And if there had been, I mean, I think some choices would have been different and like, but what I'm getting at is like the same way Haiti Remember was started just because, hey, I think this might be fun. We're just going to do it for the sake of doing it. That's how the web series started too. This is a story I really want to tell. It's an idea, a kernel of an idea I've been kicking around for a really long time. I really want to follow through on this. And with no expectations, it was just about the, for the the sake of making it. Um, and then, you know, the crazy thing is when that second episode went out, I mean, only two episodes out of 12 were up and I had a couple of really awesome opportunities come my way. I was like this close to directing an indie feature and it was entirely because of Lucy Chandler. And, um, and it's like, I'm not even bummed that that wound up not working out. And even in the moment, it was hard to be really heartbroken about it. It was, I, I was more just excited that like, I can't believe that just happened. And it was really exciting that opportunities like that existed, that that was, that was not unrealistic. So, um, right now the focus is to continue getting these episodes out. Um, and hopefully ideally what I would love to do is start making a couple of more like short films and stuff in between just to flex those muscles. Um, because, you know, we shot this a while ago and there's just a lot of other stuff I would like to to try and um, 
get back into the production side of things. It's also obviously been a little bit difficult given everything that's that's going on. Um, but that would be for the foreseeable future, like the immediate future. That's what I'd like to do. Continue rolling out these Lucy Chandler episodes, try and, and um, help that find its audience and then sporadically sprinkling in some other short films and stuff. And then, you know, God willing, I don't know if we're going to get a chance to, but um, I would love to make another season of Lucy Chandler taking into consideration everything we learned doing this one because the turnaround time on this one is insane. Um, it took, uh, it took a few years to shoot everything cause it was nights and weekends. And we, all the things they tell you when you're doing like a no budget or low budget, um, th- like a feature, this is, even though it's a web series, it's feature length. Um, you know, they say single location, usually takes place over the course of like one day or one night. So you don't have to worry about costume changes, very limited cast. Um, and just, you know, so that you can shoot it and get it out. And we just kind of knowingly broke all of those rules, all of them, 50 speaking roles, two dozen locations. Um, just, it takes place over the course of like a week. So the continuity was a nightmare. Um, just all of these things that really, really prolonged the process. But I, I, I love what we were able to do. I'm excited for people to see the rest of it. Um, I have an idea for a second season that is a little bit leaner and meaner than what we did with this first one. It has a very different vibe to it and a, a different like central thrust to the mystery. Um, and it's something that I feel like we could knock out, you know, from from start to finish, from inception to actually releasing it within the span of a year. Um, I don't know if we're going to get a chance to do that, but oh, man, I would love to. I would really, really love to take um, another crack at this and revisit these characters. So hopefully I, that would really be I'm keeping my fingers crossed we get to do that. That's awesome. And it's like you're creating your own director like credits you know like like to get these opportunities and that's amazing i think it's uh really inspiring so yeah i can't wait to to see the uh the episodes as they the you know the next episodes as they come out before we get into r5 uh, we've got to talk about Rhodes gallery podcast as well so this is your your current podcast where you Kristen, and mike are delving into movie and tv villains and seeing what makes them tick uh, i'm loving this podcast as well um it's a great concept i mean how did you where did that come from like how did you come up with that that was Kristen, actually. I mean, we, I, the three of us knew we wanted to work on something together. I mean, the original idea really was Kristen and Mike had done a podcast about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and then they moved on to Firefly. And um, when that ended, it was like, actually, as that podcast was ending, we were kind of talking about all of us teaming up for something else. And the original idea was it was going to be another Kristen and Mike show where I would occasionally drop in. And the more it evolved, the more we started talking about it, I was just like, this actually this sounds really good. I think I want to, I wound up taking a much more involved role in it than I had originally intended to. And um, we kicked around a lot of different ideas and formats. And Kristen was the one that proposed this, like some version of what it eventually became. And even after cycling through a couple of other ideas, that's the one we were returning to. And what I loved most about it, and 
like, I think there is a misconception that, and even, uh, you know, what the show started as and what it's kind of turning into, it's, it's changing. And I, this is my favorite part of starting any new endeavor is the thing you think you're making. And then when it starts telling you what it actually wants to be. And, um, originally it was a lot more about like the psychology of these characters and, uh, and all of this. And we really loosened up on that and it was just way more entertaining to, to use this format of a case file. You know, the three of us are investigators. We're starting a case file on, you know, Jason Voorhees or whoever it is. And we've got all of these subheadings as part of our investigation. And we've really loosened up on what we can put under these different headings. And so the format of the show is really different than Hey, Do You Remember? And from a lot of the other movie podcasts I used to listen to. And I just got so burned out on that formula of, going through a movie scene by scene by scene. It worked for Hey, Do You Remember? Um, I didn't want to do another show like that. I have a hard time even listening to shows like that now. So this this was just a really unique way to break down a movie or TV show. It's like we still go through it somewhat linearly, but it's it's like this way... We only have to talk about the parts we want to talk about. We don't have to hit every major plot point. We can we can jump around a lot more and the conversations can get a little bit more more broad. And so um, I think when we started, a lot of people may have been expecting, I think it was treated like it was a spinoff of Hey, Do You Remember? that was about horror movies. And um, that's not really what the show is at all. And I think the way I put it to somebody once was because I'm a, a Star Trek nerd. I said, if Hey, Do You Remember is Star Trek The Next Generation, Rogue's Gallery is Deep Space Nine. And I think the longer Rogue's Gallery runs, the more that will bear out. I think the more apt that comparison will be. And um, there were growing pains like there were there are with any show. But um, I think that podcast is really starting to find its footing. Um, we've been banking some really, really good episodes and we're just kind of loosening up a little bit on the formula and even the, you know, it's, it is a deep dive into villains, um, and antiheroes and all of this stuff. But again, it's really more about just giving it kind of an interesting framing device. Ultimately, it's still a conversation show about movies. It's great. I really, I really enjoy it. I've, Again, the links will be below for that. I just listened to your Jaws one, which I think was the most recent one, which which was great. I loved it. And I love how there's, like with Hey, Do You Remember, it has the sincerity, the more serious moments, the lighter moments. And something that's actually a good comparison is you covered Scream on Hey, Do You Remember? It's one of my favorite episodes. Love that movie. <laughs> but then, And then you covered ghost face on rogues gallery but you know it's completely different but you're talking about the same subject matter but on rogues gallery you're talking about that character's journey throughout the four films about to say three of the four films and you know the tv shows and you get to go and sort of weave through it all rather than just focusing on just that one movie um oh yeah it's um i think that was one of your first ones wasn't it it was the very first one yeah and it's weird that we started that way because from that point on, one of the tricky things has been about like, I've been very leery of covering stuff that I've already talked about on Hey, Do You Remember? And another really early episode was Biff Tannen, which 
we were talking about all of the Back to the Future movies, and we had done an episode on Hey, Do You Remember that was about the entire trilogy. And so I, going into that, I was like, man, how is this going to work? I don't know that I have much left to say. And I don't, I really resent any time it feels like those shows have to be in competition with one another because they're so different. And, um, but the, coming out of that, the Back to the Future episode for Rogues Gallery, it was a little bit of a sigh of relief of like, it just is different. I don't even have to stress about it. This is just its own thing. Even still, there are certain things we've steered clear of because it's like, no, I mean, the we did a Hey, Do You Remember episode on this. And for me, it's not even just that like, we've covered this ground already. I feel like this was like the mic drop on, on that particular movie. I really, I cannot come at it from a different angle. Um, and so, but because we tend to focus on horror, sci-fi genre stuff, um, and eventually we're going to start branching off into more like comic books and video games. Um, that's, it's just stuff that we, a lot of it, we never went anywhere near on Hey, Do You Remember? So it hasn't even been as much of an issue as I thought it was going to be. You are making me nervous that you're not going to cover Shredder from the Turtles, though. Oh, no, we we almost did. I, and it's just it's that's one of those ones where like with each character, we we give it, we put a lot of thought into the best way to break these things down, because like with the Ghostface episode, like you said, we covered the entire Scream franchise and the TV series. We're going to do an update, uh, an additional episode when the new Scream movie comes out. Um, and but it was like we were holding off on Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, Halloween, because it's like, how do you do these in one episode? What are we going to do? I mean, Scream was really riding the line with four movies. That was just, that was right on the cusp of being too much. So then when we locked into the idea of like certain things, like Nightmare on Elm Street, it makes sense to go film by film. Other things, it makes sense to just hit all of these things. Like the whole point is to try and compare and contrast different iterations of a character. And so there have been an ongoing conversations about Hannibal Lecter is a big one we're dying to get to and just trying to figure out how are we how are we going to tackle that one? And as funny as it sounds, Shredder is kind of the same thing because there's so many iterations of it that it's like, are we just going to do one big all-encompassing episode of Shredder or are we specifically going to focus on this iteration and then move on to another one because it's like, Hey, do you remember we have this list that we're, we're keeping and um, I've got my own list that I'm working on and like episodes that are kind of slowly coming together. And there's stuff like there's a couple of things related to the Joker where I, at one point I love the idea of just giving the broad view of the character all through history. Here's how he's changed and all of this. And then the more it goes on, the more it just feels like it's too much. It's absolutely too much. This is another one that has to be broken up into, you know, different, different eras. So um, Shredder is not off the table. It's just, it's like, it's just figuring out how we're going to come at it. And with that one, I think the answer may be because we already talked about all three of those 90s Ninja Turtle movies on Haiti, hey remember the more interesting Shredder episode for this other show would be to um, compare and contrast like the cartoon that got us all hooked as kids and also the movies. And then these other other versions of Shredder that have come since or even looking back at like the original comic book origins. There's some stuff that doesn't deserve its own episode. There's not enough there. And then there's other stuff that it's just like, 
it's too big. It's too big to try and hit all of this in one. So, but we are there. Shredder, we're not closing the door at it. <laughs> Excellent. That's good to hear. Well, I have to ask, are there, what are the podcasts that you listen to that you enjoy? I mean, like I've, I've tried many other movie podcasts. Like I love like nineties movies and evidently, and I can't find any that are a good blend. Like I, I don't, I hate podcasts where people are just sort of shitting on the movie like you can have you can say negative things about it and it be constructive but if it's like well-natured and well-intentioned not just people just you know talking down on the movie and i can't find any i mean do you have any (laughs) any suggestions or any Um, you know what sort of podcast do you listen to i'm gonna be no help here because honestly after after several years of doing hey do you remember i noticed that I mean, when I first started listening to podcasts, the majority of what I listened to were film and TV podcasts. The longer we did our show, the more that list started to get pared down. I was just listening to less and less of them. It's we spent so much time doing that. I didn't care. I didn't. I didn't care what these other people thought of this movie. I, <laughs> like I just. I didn't want to hear it anymore. And now at this point, um, by the time Haiti hey, Remember ended, I really do not listen to movie podcasts anymore and i think that'll probably change at some point but just like right now um yeah that's not really what i'm listening to and also you know because of the lockdown um and just the way things have have changed since even with things kind of reopening again i just listen to a lot less podcasts than than i used to i'm really really behind on the ones that um i do I do listen to. So yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm like, I'm really hard pressed to think of like, occasionally I will listen to something from that, uh, the ringer network. They have a couple of podcasts related to TV and movies. Um, man, but other than that, oh gosh, I don't. Yeah. What about just general podcasts? Like what, what are sort of on your list? Like Mark Marin, like that sort of thing? Yeah, that's a big one. That one's still there. I loved, uh, well, I still love Conan O'Brien's podcast. I still listen to that one. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I, there's, um, oh, you know, I just, I found a, one I, I just started recently listening to called, oh boy, I think it's called Script Apart. And the host has on, a different screenwriter each episode to talk about their first draft of a movie that went on to be this really like big, popular, um, really renowned thing. And to talk about the differences between that first draft and what wound up on screen and how and why those changes were made. Um, the most recent episode at the time we're recording this is James Gunn talking about the suicide squad. The one right before that, was uh, Graham Yost, who wrote Speed. And it's him talking about the original version of that script, um, the Joss Whedon rewrite on it, and the things that you know are his and the things that Joss added. Um, it's a really, I mean, for me as a writer, it's a really, really interesting show. So I've been listening to that. It's a lot of that. You know, it's like whatever I'm currently working on at the moment, if I'm in the middle of writing something, I listen to a lot of writing podcasts. If I'm shooting, I'm trying to find shows about, indie filmmaking and production if i'm editing then i'm i'm looking for for that sort of thing awesome great well yeah i I really that script one sounds really cool so i'll definitely i'll definitely check that out yeah it's really good 
Well, let's move into our list. So I asked yes. asked you to think of five movies that are generally considered bad uh, movies yeah. that you love. I have tons, uh, so we can go one for one. What What do you have? Okay, so I'm going to pull up my list here because I have I also came up with a lot. So um, for the first one, in general, I tried to steer clear of titles that I've already talked about on Hey, Do You Remember?, But the first movie I thought of was one that we did do an episode about, but I picked it because this is a relatively recent realization for me. Um, (laughs) When we watched the 1995 Mortal Kombat movie way back in the early days of the podcast, I said it was very flawed, but very entertaining. And at the time we recorded that episode, we agreed that even all these years later, it was still probably the best movie based on a video game, which is no longer the case, but um, it felt true back in 2013. Um, And it was pretty faint praise. I mean, we couldn't believe that that very low bar had yet to be cleared. Um, And after we did that episode, I felt like that's it for me and Mortal Kombat. I said what I had to say. Um, It was a movie that I had loved as a kid and I was now ready to just leave in the rear view mirror. Um, Fast forward to COVID and the pandemic and going into lockdown. During that lockdown, I watched Mortal Kombat at least three times. And every time I hit play, I was like, what am I doing? Um, There was one time because everything, you had to do everything remotely. I had a doctor's appointment that I had to do remotely. And I'm sitting there waiting for it. And they stick you in like the, the virtual waiting room. And I'm like, seriously, we're going to preserve this part of going to see the doctor. <laughs> and uh, so I'm just sitting there waiting and I'm like, eh, I'm just going to watch Mortal Kombat again. <laughs> like, what the <laughs> hell am I doing? Um, but I think because things felt so bleak and there was so much indecision and um, dread that there was a comfort in turning to things that were light and silly and really cheesy. And that movie, you know, it knows exactly what it is. It's not trying to be anything else. It knows what its audience wants out of it. And it's so happy to just deliver that. And starting from the very first frame Um, and definitely also the new Mortal Kombat movie gave me an even deeper appreciation for the 95 version. So yeah, I I think I love that original Mortal Kombat, which was sort of news to me. <laughs> that was one that I never saw as a kid, and I watched for Hey, do you remember to be able to uh, listen to it? And that was certainly an experience to watch for the first time. <laughs> oh, for watching it for the first time now? Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. But I appreciated it because I I love that era even if i don't like the movies in though you know that one was fine but i like the the style of it you know like i know that that had special effects but i like some of the elements where they're still putting practical effects in like i love practical effects over cgi yeah oh i'll take the the janky version like the puppet goro with totally absurd proportions over the CGI one that's like maybe technically closer to what he looks like in the game or whatever, but like, oh man, there's no, it's, it's, yeah, no question. There is something very charming and very comforting about that 90s aesthetic for sure. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason, I know it had CGI in, it was like, you know, revolutionary in it, but there's a reason that 
Jurassic Park still looks great today where some things in like the third Jurassic Park look a bit ropey you know it's because Mm -hmm. they they invested and they were doing it you know that there was actually something there that they were reacting to you know yeah but right well to, to go on to stay on to this theme my one is also video game related oh it was my sixth birthday party and this was like a classic where you'd go to the to the cinema and then go to mcdonald's afterwards with your friends and get the happy meals and whatever and so because of that it stuck with me and was special and you did cover it on hey do you remember and it is super mario brothers (laughs) oh sure okay it's a terrible movie i watched it recently as well it's it's terrible but i love it it's um, it's so bad it makes no sense I love it. That's another one where the story behind it, I think is, I mean, a documentary about the making of that movie would be so fascinating. And I think like even more entertaining than the actual film, because it's, there is a lot about it. I appreciate, I admire the swing they took. I mean, this just the, the totally out there concept of the movie. And I think what the conclusion we came to on that episode was this is not a bad movie because it's a bad adaptation of the Super Mario Brothers video game. That is not what's wrong with it. It's that even on its own terms, this doesn't work. And it's frustrating because it does feel like they weren't far off from a version of it that might have. And there are a lot of reasons it it obviously didn't come together. But that was also, I got to tell you, like one of the, because I think that was our second episode. It was, or third, it was very early in the run. Um, But, um, that was like one of the first episodes that there was a little bit of blowback on where it's like, oh, some people really care a lot about <laughs> Super Mario Bros. Some There are some grown men out there. There are a lot of middle-aged dudes who have big opinions on the Super Mario Brothers <laughs> movie. And it was like, I, you know, it just one of those like really eye-opening things and just... I mean, it was good. It was good to get acquainted with that that early because that was definitely something that continued through all eight years of doing that show. It's like everyone likes to think they can be really objective about this stuff, even where the whole conceit of the podcast is taking off the rose-tinted glasses mm-hmm. and seeing how something holds up. It's about what you thought then and then really trying to make a fair assessment of what's actually there. That was the whole point of the show. And everyone feels like they're totally on board with that until it's the movie you loved and then all of a sudden it's like "Ooh, you still got like a little 10 year old in you don't you because here he is writing me an angry email about super mario brothers (laughs) yeah i guess people are feeling like you're uh, damaging their childhood you know you're sure that what their opinion was when they were 10 or whatever was incorrect you know and this is important because the thing that You know, by the time we got to the Batman 89 episode, I said for years before we did that movie that I think people are going to be pretty shocked how fair I am in in discussing what works about that movie and what doesn't. Because here's the thing. It's like that was a hugely impactful and important movie for me. And the experience of seeing it as a seven-year-old and what it meant to me then and all of the ways it continued to affect my life 
that's a separate thing from the movie. You know, both of those things, like you, ha- you have to be aware of both of those things. There's, there's the experience surrounding the film and what it meant to you. And then there's the movie itself. And it's okay to say like, this part is still hugely important and nothing's ever going to take away my love for this and what it meant to me. But that doesn't mean I can't stand here and go like, Hey, listen, the third act of Batman 89 is clown shoes. It doesn't work. It just flat out doesn't work. Um, that doesn't change anything about what it meant to me then. And it was really eye opening. Like when we got to one of the last episodes we did was Batman forever. And for a lot of people that are just a little younger than I am, that's their version of Batman 89. That's the first Batman movie they saw in a theater. That's the one that holds a really special place for them. Whereas for me, that was the first one where I was like, I think I'm too old for this stuff. Like this just doesn't, this doesn't work for me. That movie was a massive disappointment for me as a kid. I thought I treated that movie so fairly on that episode and specifically acknowledged everyone deserves a Batman that's their Batman. Just because Mm -hmm. this one wasn't mine doesn't mean I'm trying to take that away from you. And I got quite a few emails about Batman forever about just like, it's like, listen, the really cynical part of me was like your devotion to a 30 year old (laughs) movie that was designed to sell happy meals to children (laughs) is admirable, (laughs) but like, come on, let's take a step back here. But it's, but even I think like a, a healthier read of the whole thing is just look, I love Batman 89. I can see it has its problems. Um, I love if you love Batman forever. I'm not trying to change anyone's relationship Mm. to that movie. Stop trying to change mine. Like there's no like you can't write to me and convince me I was wrong about what I thought of it as a kid. Like that's that's, that happened. It's done. That's just is what it is. Um, And so like, like I said, it's, it's, it's really easy to laugh along with these episodes until we get to one of the movies that it's like, it's one of your movies, you know? And it's, it's never, you can't ever predict which ones it's going to be because like, obviously we all have Indiana Jones and everything. That's a given, but it's like, Howard the duck is that movie. For some people, Mm -hmm. Super Mario Brothers is that movie for some people. It's not that I'm not compassionate about that, but it's just like, you know, if you're laughing at some of the other episodes, you got to you got to you got to give you got to take as good as you give. You know, you got to take your licks when it's when it's your turn. I had my turn with Batman 89. There were other movies I loved that Donna and Carlos would just I mean, steamrolled. They just they hated them. And and the same. I mean, everyone was willing to like offer up their sacrifice. Just please, please be gentle. Um, That was just part of doing the show and the whole point. And I mean, if you this is probably getting too serious, but like one of the reasons it kind of it felt like its time was winding down was the thesis of that show was that nostalgia is this really amazing and sometimes magical thing. And um, a lot of that, that innocent time in your life, it should be preserved, you know, and looked back on very fondly, but also nostalgia can also be a really ugly, dangerous thing that like it lies to you and convinces you that things were, were these truths about the past that, aren't they aren't true and they affect how you see the present and um 
I, I thought that was like one of the most valuable things about doing that show. And it just, it, towards the end, it felt like, I don't know that we're really accomplishing this. It feels, and it, by the time we were getting towards the end of doing that show, I mean, nostalgia, not that it ever disappeared, but it was back in such a big way. And it just felt like we're not interrogating this. We're adding to it. We are really, really just feeding into this idea that I liked it when it when I was 10, so it's awesome <laughs> now, and if you don't agree with me, you're wrong. And that was never what our show was about, and if people felt that way, I, that it was just that's a total misread. We were never ever ever interested in doing that. Yeah, I mean there's so many great points in there. I I guess we're some of the first generations of sort of man and women children. Like we're adults but we're children at the same time because it's acceptable for us to be so sort of devoted to our own nostalgia where I think other generations didn't have that luxury, you know. It's like no, we got to move on and we'd you know, we don't have we don't have the ability to look back at this stuff. It wasn't a YouTube, but there wasn't that ability to just go into this portal and then look back at these things and streaming services and DVDs and all that sort of stuff. And I think that, like you said, like eighty nine Batman was was your Batman. Uh, I mean, mine was the shameful one of uh, I can't even remember which one which one it was called. The one with Mister Freeze. Oh, Batman and Robin. Sure. Right. That was the one that came out when I was like at that impressionable age, you know, and I think a lot of that is timing. It's what hits when you're at that stage, you know, and the Happy Meals that I was buying was related to that movie, you know, so it's like those memories coincide. And I think also, like you said, we have a way of romanticizing the positive things of the past. So we look back and think oh everything was so magical then and sometimes actually then going back and looking at these things from the cold light of day to day it can be a bit sad because actually no these things weren't that amazing so sometimes it is best to leave it there but that's valuable too i mean it's not just about like you know because you're right but i think it doesn't have to be um it doesn't have to be sad because I think the real lesson there, the thing we were sometimes trying to hammer home with the podcast is just because it wasn't what it was when you were a kid. What's really important about all of that is realizing that this myth of the good old days, these are the good old days. It's now, this is the moment. And even if it doesn't feel like it, you know, it's, there are aspects of of today, of things that are happening now that five, 10 years from now, I'm going to look back on. Even the things that I, I think I hate right now, the things that drive me crazy about where we currently live or this neighborhood or just whatever. Someday, all of that part of it's going to fall away and I'm just going to, I'm going to think back about other aspects of this time in my life and just feel like, ah, oh, the good old days. But they weren't when I was in them, like, you know, not consciously, but maybe they should be. And that was kind mm-hmm. of what we were we were aiming at with the show was like, these memories are great and they're a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun to look back on this stuff. But the most important thing about holding some of these things up to the light and going like, okay, I can see some of the rougher edges now. I think that's really valuable because it, again, I think the real lesson is the past, those experiences, there's value in that. The present 
is more important, you know, to live with that kind of intention right now, to be grateful for the things that are happening all around you in this moment, because it goes by so fast, man. And like, even just the whole experience of doing the show to be on the other side of it now, to be a little nostalgic for the nostalgia show. And I catch myself doing this where it's, and I knew this would happen. We had this whole list of reasons that we ended that podcast, some of which we were very forthcoming about with our listeners. Obviously, we owed them an explanation up to a point, but there are a lot of things that, like, quite frankly, were no one's business except, I mean, it's just between the three of us. And being so clear on all of that stuff as we were, you know, moving that thing across the finish line. And now that it's over, it's so easy just to think about the good parts. You know, um, I mean, some of the the hardest laughs I've ever had in my life were recording that show. Um, and it's those moments where, you, you know, it, it can be very tempting to think about how do I recapture it? How do I get it back? And you know what? If we tried within a couple of weeks, it would just be like, oh, right. Here's all the reasons we decided we didn't really want to do this anymore. It's like you let that stuff fall away and it's just it, it, all of the, the really positive stuff. All the blemishes are gone. You're just, you're looking at, you kind of turn it into this, this like really perfect picturesque thing. And it's not always super accurate. And so it, it's just, it's like what we said on the very last episode, which was we've spent eight years looking back. It's time for us to look forward. And it's not just about the podcast. It's not just about, Hey, do you remember? I mean, that, that was for me in life at that moment. That's how I felt. It's really easy to get trapped back there, Simon, you know, and I think that can be really dangerous. I, I feel like there needs to be more emphasis on right now on being present. And, um, you know, even, even when things are, really, really rough. And I know a lot of people are are coming out of an absolutely terrible year. And a lot of people are still in a, a really a pretty, um, pretty difficult place. And even in the moments where I feel at, I'm at my lowest, actually, scratch that, especially in those moments, I force myself um, each night to just, I have a journal that's just like, just make three bullet points and I am going to force myself to write three things I'm grateful for. This is where the ending of the off the clock episodes came from. This is what inspired that. And even it can be the smallest thing. And it's just, it's hard to feel as cynical about your life and about the world and, and the people around you when you make that more of a, a regular practice and just, and then because I know I'm going to be making that journal entry, you know, I'm thinking about it during the day. I'm, I'm really forcing myself to just, instead of, as I'm walking around thinking about all the shit I got to do later, it's just about like, yeah, but that's all still going to be there. That's not going anywhere. What's happening right now. You know, I'm walking down this street and I, but I'm not really looking at anything. And I feel like that's kind of, it's easy to go through your entire life like that sometimes. So I'm sorry, this is a really, really long tangent. I know, I guess this is kind of what I do, but, um, <laughs> I mean, it really, it, it, it all fits together for me. So no, that was perfect. And so poignant and so relevant always, because I think, and especially in 
today we're in this world where we just have these phones in our hand constantly just not being present looking through that at you know mindless garbage most of the time or pretty much all of the time my wife and I had our had our first child we're saying child because he's still a baby but to us you know he's our baby yeah during during lockdown all the challenges that came with that and something that we were always reminding each other of was to look up um and that sounds like a really basic thing but when we're when we're out walking and or like walking our dog is to sometimes just stop and just look up whether that's looking at the trees looking at the sky looking at the clouds and it just seems to center you or it centers me anyway in this realization that oh wow i'm here in the world and yeah it's kind of it makes you feel it's going to sound strange it makes you feel insignificant but in that way you feel free like insignificant in that oh i'm just this one tiny thing amongst all of these living things and i am no more important or less important than anybody else or anything else and within that it's like oh this is magical this is glorious that i have this opportunity that i am here and it sort of reminds you to like you were just saying to be present we actually named our son after that after that sort of feeling and with that in in mind so uh, i fully feel you and it's never a tangent i think it's just wonderful advice i i love everything you just said i think that's amazing and it's that's great advice and also i something similar because anxiety has been an ongoing issue for me um that one of the things I was told, one of the exercises is in those moments, right? I can feel something about to come on or if I'm in the middle of one of those episodes, just a similar idea of just really feeling your feet touch the ground. I mean, just really feel like literally feeling like grounded and just um, that I kind of love this. I kind of love the idea of that and then doing what you said of just looking up and I, man, yeah, I love it. Wow, I I feel like I feel like that's great. <laughs> well, give me another garbage movie that you love. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's right. Okay, I'm so sorry. Here we go. Um, all right, what is the? Let me. What's the next one I had here? Um, okay, I've got two on here that are movies I sometimes turn to, like when I need to try and cheer myself up, and you know, they could not be more different. These two movies. The first one is a comedy. Speaking of Adam Sandler, called grandma's boy are you familiar with this do you know this movie i haven't seen it i know it's okay. with the guy that's in all of his movies and it's a right. weird movie but i haven't seen it so yeah it's a happy madison movie so adam sandler's production company um and yes it's all of his buddies who usually have small supporting roles in his films they were like what if we just give them their own movie this is the b team's moment to shine <laughs> uh the script is insane nothing connects the movie keeps changing what it's about um so on a story level it just does not function at all and i love it i was laughing so <laughs> hard it's so stupid but it's so funny so i would never ever try to argue that this is a good movie but there are moments in it that will make me laugh out loud no matter how many times i've seen them um and i you know they're like the people might be thinking like well of course it's like stupid but funny that's adam sandler that's kind of what he does that's billy madison uh no grandma's boy makes billy madison look like casablanca it's so <laughs> dumb 
Uh, it's, it, I'm, and I'm probably going to watch it tonight now, now that I'm sitting here <laughs> talking about it, but yeah, like, uh, grandma's boy, that's a terrible movie that I love. That's, that's a great answer. I, I will watch it. I, I need to, to, to check it out. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let you know. I'm sure that I'll, I'll love it as well. <laughs> well, one of mine that's in a similar vein here, and this is actually my wife's comfort movie. This is one that she'll put on and watch the fall asleep in the opening credits, but it's like a safety blanket. And so it's kind yeah. of become that for me as well. And it's a terrible movie, but I also laugh out loud at it is Deuce Bigelow male gigolo uh-huh <laughs> yeah i don't you know i don't know if i've seen that one or part of the sequel that may be all i've seen there's no redeeming qualities in that one there's a woman in that that one that has a penis for a nose and every time that's the she one sneezes, i've seen yeah that's, that's <laughs> the one i've seen the european it's when they go international of course they yeah um that's the one i've seen it's not good that forget that one it's like free ninjas forget just the original what's another one yeah i'll go with the other movie that i put on to cheer myself up and boy a lot of people really really hate this one it's a cameron crowe movie called elizabeth town so it's about this guy who experiences this huge tragedy in his professional life and then that kind of ripples out into his personal life and then on top of that he finds out his dad died so he has to kind of hit the pause button on all of these things going on in his life so that he can go back to his dad's hometown to make arrangements, tie up some loose ends. And listen, I get it. I've heard the criticisms of this movie. They are valid. I see them. I don't even disagree, but there's just something about this movie. I mean, I think like one of the big things is it takes place in Kentucky and my stepdad's family has a big reunion there every other year. So um, that was a big part of my childhood, spending a lot of summers in Kentucky and Cameron Crowe movies. They all, they have such a strong sense of place and he really nails it in this one. There's a moment where the main character gets out of the, the car he rented for the first time and, you know, you just you it's like you feel the heat hit him. And it's just like, yes, I've been there. That's I know this feeling. And um, a lot of the characters in the movie, the extended family of that main character. I know those people. I grew up with those people. There's just a lot about it that feels really, really familiar to me. Um, when we had to put one of our cats down, this was the movie I reached for when my grandpa died. I put this on the next day and it's not even that this is it's because it's a film that's like partially about death and grieving and moving on. It's about that familiarity. It's about the comfort of it. So this is one I go back to all the time. Nice. Yeah, that's I, I haven't seen is Orlando Bloom. Is it? Yes. And that's one of the big uh, that's one of people's big, big issues with it. <laughs> I don't. I don't mind him. I. I haven't seen it. I. When I was a student, I used to work in Blockbuster, of course, and uh, I remember it being like a new release when I was working there. I think is it like two thousand? Did you say it's like two thousand and five or something? Two thousand. Yeah, two thousand five. Somewhere around there. And it was also, you know, the other thing that was uh, weird about it was it was right on the heels of Garden State, which had a very similar premise, and just I, and it was right at that point in time where I think we were starting to become really aware of what is now known as the the manic pixie dream girl trope and right. um that 
yeah, some of that stuff, it, it's like even so there's this whole thing with the ending uh, with Kirsten Dunst in Elizabethtown and this whole final stretch of the movie that it is it's absolutely ludicrous the way that the movie wraps up and this kind of adventure she helps put him on as as closure and it's just like there's no way she could have put all this together there's no this is just this is like a fairy tale and it's one of those things where it's like i get it but i also watch it and i'm like but wouldn't it be amazing if you could do something like this like wouldn't you don't you want to live in a world like this i don't know man it's like like i said i see the flaws i get it and it's just and it's weird because garden state is a movie that meant a whole hell of a lot to me when that came out i was just like oh i really feel this and now i watch it and i'm like oh my god i can't believe i ever identified with this um i don't know why elizabethtown is is why that one is like has has stuck with me um but yeah yeah i love it this one i'm not sure this one i think is a good movie but i've lent it to people like back in the day on dvd and things and people would be like no no i didn't like it it was trash or didn't like or there's so many plot holes in it and i was like okay i just don't understand that's fine that's your opinion but i love it so I'm going to put it on the list. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Finder's Fee. It's from like 2000, 2001. It has a young Ryan Reynolds in it. It has, oh, I'm blanking on his name. The voice of Darth Vader. James Earl Jones? Yes, James Earl Jones. The famous, uh, the the infamous child molester that stalked children at Ranchview Elementary School. <laughs> yes. James Earl Jones. <laughs> Which episode of Hey, Do You Remember is that? Because I've been trying to find that before and I don't know. You can't remember? It's got to be Star Wars. It has to be the first Star Wars episode, of I think. Of course, of course. Because it wasn't, sense. I know it wasn't The Sandlot. It didn't come up there. So I think the next James Earl Jones movie would have been A New Hope. It's got to be in that episode. God, your guys' impression of George Lucas absolutely kills me. Do you know, the, um, <laughs> the, I, I told this to Carlos, when we had Shauna Waldron, who played Icebox from the Little Giants on, on our podcast, and Todd Bosley played Jake. I don't know if you remember the characters. Oh my gosh, of course. I'm like, I, I, I think I just blushed a little bit. I, that like made me, like the idea of talking to them made me nervous. I I got weirdly like one degree removed starstruck <laughs> of little giants that's amazing holy crap well yeah it's actually the only time she's spoken about it i think since huh since she was like a kid and would have done press runs and whatever and that was actually really interesting because like rick moranis was in a really bad place emotionally i think this is well known right because his his wife had passed away and this is just before he sort of retired and stepped away mm-hmm. they were doing some like rewrites on it to bring in some of the more adult relationships into the forefront and anyway my point is is that when we were talking to her and to todd all i could think about was your jokes about janos kleminski the um oh boy the cinematographer and and they were talking about him and saying he's such a nice guy and this and the other and all i could think about was the shoes on the train tracks and all of these things so you almost ruined that one for me chris so (laughs) well you're very welcome (laughs) oh god (laughs) 
<laughs> but right, but Finders V, it's a, basically a guy a guy finds a wallet on the street and in the wallet there's a lottery ticket and the lottery ticket is uh is a winner. It's he finds out it's won the lottery, but that night his friends are coming around and they have this tradition that they put all the lottery tickets in the middle and they play it in a poker game. But he knows beforehand that he has, you know, a ticket worth, you know, six million dollars or something like that. Yeah. And it ends up being this whole thing where he's trying to rig the game and so on and so forth. But it's 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 a movie that is all in one room. The whole movie is in one room. Oh, interesting. Wait, you said this is it's regarded as terrible because that sounds pretty good. Well, <laughs> it's not. I don't think it's. Re- it's probably on IMDb at like a, a six point two or something. Uh, but I've lent it to people, and they haven't liked it. But I've always <laughs> okay. really liked it. So yeah, Finders Fee. I, I'd recommend. Uh, I don't want to recommend you something you won't like. I don't want to. Oh, <laughs> it's it, it's movies. This is such low stakes. Even if it's not. What about it's ninety minutes long? Or... Okay, no. that sounds interesting. Check it out then. Yeah, okay. I think yeah have you got any more yeah yeah i got two more i can do so um i really like the stanley kubrick movie eyes wide shut i saw it as a teenager and thought what the hell is this um (laughs) i just i didn't get it it just didn't work for me at all i revisited it a few years after that still didn't love it but there were things about it that really stayed with me that time and that just continued. I'd revisit it every few years and each time I'd like it more and more. And a lot of the things people don't like about the movie, that's actually a lot of the stuff that kind of works for me now and helps give it this really bizarre, almost hypnotic quality. Um, Stuff like the fact that it takes place in New York, but Kubrick wouldn't leave the UK. So it's shot over there and um all of the sound stages the the way they tried to recreate new york it is so absolutely 100 percent not new york it just doesn't <laughs> feel remotely authentic and then there's just weird stuff with like it's there's tom cruise walking down a sidewalk but it's rear projection where the background is being it's behind him and he's just standing he's on a treadmill just in one place <laughs> and it's it just looks wrong and there's a lot about that movie where it's just it's like a little bit off but um some of the imagery in it and the sense of dread that starts to hang over it as it goes it rivals a lot of horror movies i've seen and the sound design of it and the score is so good and so powerful and like i it's listen it's never going to make like my top three stanley kubrick movies and i this is another one i get why people don't like it but it's one i've really really warmed up to over the years and it's you know it's another one that i struggle to recommend because i know especially on a first viewing and this is something that as i've gotten older i like movies that challenge me i like movies that i don't quite know what to make of at first and I have to sit with them a little bit or maybe rewatch them once or twice. And that's how like a lot of my favorite movies of all time, that's my relationship with them. I didn't love them immediately. And, um, eyes wide shut. I don't love, I guess is maybe a strong word there are definitely things I love about it. Um, but I, yeah, I've really grown to appreciate this one quite a bit i understand why it gets slagged on but um there's a lot of good stuff 
in that movie. There's a lot of really good stuff in that movie. I actually haven't seen it. I think uh, I know generally what it's about. I think when it came out, it was one that my parents were like, no, maybe not now. <laughs> like, Yeah. Oh, yeah. What what year did it come out? Roughly? 99, I think. Yeah, I would have been 12. So <laughs> it's, a little, it's a little early for eyes wide shut. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll check it out now. I'll add it to the list. <laughs> you know, my dad was a big Stanley Kubrick fan. Um, he, he's the one that introduced me to 2001 and, uh, a lot of that stuff. But, and I, so when eyes wide shut was coming out, I remember asking him because you look, even if you don't like the actual movie, the trailer for eyes wide shut with that Chris Isaac song, the baby did a bad, bad thing. Who that is a really good trailer. And I, that's what made me really want to see the movie. And I remember saying to my dad, I'm just like, are you like, you must be dying to see this. You must be thrilled. This is finally coming out. And my dad is like, Oh, I'm like, seriously, you're not going to go see that. He's like, Oh, he's perverts and they're pervert movies. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> Cause you're not a big Lolita fan either. Cause that's another pretty famous Kubrick movie, but yeah, it's just, so if you're in the mood for one of those, uh, pervert movies made by pervert people, Simon, I think you might dig eyes wide shot. <laughs> Just a regular Tuesday night then. Great. <laughs> Fantastic. Slot it in. <laughs> Terrible choice of words. But honestly, it's it might be worth it might be worth seeing. Uh, that, that was quick. That was quick. I have so many to pick from. I'm, I'll go with uh I'll can I can stay with Tom Cruise. Let's stay with Tom Cruise. Oh good. Okay. Night and Day. Night with, yeah. the, with the K. I really yes. liked it. My wife really liked it, but I think it gets pretty bad, you know, reception or bad score. Did did you like it? I really did. And that was an I did not Excellent. expect to. Um I think that was something that my wife and I both went into with really low expectations and were really, really happily surprised by. It. I thought that was a really entertaining movie. I liked it a lot. Yeah, it was just like, it was comedic, it was light, it was Tom Cruise getting to do all of his action stuff that he does really well. I mean, he runs superbly, doesn't he? The whole, you know, (laughs) he he does it better than anybody else. And and it was just lighthearted. Yeah, I thought it was good. And also a good change of pace for, like, James Mangold is, a lot of his stuff is just, it's so serious and kind of some of it's a little like self-important even and to see him do something that with that lighter touch that worked as well as it did that was another really nice surprise about that film yeah it's too bad it didn't do that well because it sounds like the intention was oh maybe we can make a couple of these and then yeah cameron diaz she's retired now hasn't she so but yeah you feel okay about tom cruise in general i do and this is one of those things where it's like it feels so hypocritical because there are some actors, directors, or just like artists in general where it is so hard for me to separate things about them and, you know, as a person or things they've done with the art itself. It's just really hard to make that separation. And Tom Cruise, it's just like one of those, it's one of those things where it's just like, there are there are things about that organization and his affiliation that really, truly bother me. I mean, they're just unbelievably upsetting. And it's like, there's that. And then also the fact that I still think he's a good actor who makes 
really, really great movies. I mean, those Mission Impossible movies that at this point, that's some of like the that's one of the last big franchise things for me that like I am buying my tickets early. We are going opening night. That's that's one of those series for me. And um, yeah, it's tough. Like I said, I feel hypocritical because there are other actors and filmmakers I can't make that separation with where it's just it's too it's too tough and for, I I don't have that issue with him it's like whatever Tom Cruise does in real life like I yeah I'm not really a fan of that Tom Cruise is a movie star and really one of like the last movie stars that we have left um I I am a fan I am an admirer of a lot of that same I'm very much the way that I will cut someone out if I uh, if I don't agree with the fit like something that, that pains me like I grew up loving the Lethal Weapon movies but I won't watch them now because Mel because of Mel Gibson because of Mel Gibson and you know I'm wondering if they can somehow you know Photoshop over him we can bring someone else into Riggs just in the old movies somehow but but I don't I don't again I don't have that issue with Tom Cruise and those Mission Impossible movies at this point to me anyway they're better than the James Bond movies that's how James Bond should be you know back you know I I kind of liked the I grew up with the golden eye Pierce Brosnan James Bond you know who who's yeah. your bond who's your who's your go-to bond Pierce Brosnan is the era I grew up with golden eye was the first one I saw in the theater I will always have a soft spot for that one I think that's probably my third favorite James Bond movie um my favorite James Bond movie is Casino Royale um my second favorite is From Russia with Love and Sean Connery I think is just definitively He's like, it's he's the best James Bond. But despite the fact that Brosnan is the one I grew up with at this point, Daniel Craig is like a very close second. I think he's pretty unbelievable. It's just too bad how a lot of the times, you know, they, they kind of knock it out of the park with the first movie for the new Bond. And then it, it's like diminishing returns and I mm. Craig has Skyfall, which is a, a high point in the series. But um Brosnan, I get why people love him in that era, and I love Goldeneye, and it's a real shame that the rest of those movies were not as good as he was in the role. He deserved better movies. Yeah, for sure. Have you seen, I'm sure you have, but I think one of his best, more recent movies, probably not as recent anymore, is uh, Edge of Tomorrow. So good. I love Edge of Tomorrow. And I actually, there was one that came out, I think a little bit before that. They were around the same time. One that was not as well liked called Oblivion that I also yeah. really enjoyed. That was one I told my dad, like, you have to go find this if you haven't already seen it because the visuals, the music, I know you're going to eat this up. And um, yeah, I I like Oblivion a lot. And Edge of Tomorrow, man, Edge of Tomorrow is great. They're both. I find them both like really, really rewatchable. He's just so good. Like he doesn't really turn in. He doesn't turn in bad movies. Jerry Maguire is one of my favorite movies of all time. I love that you covered that. I love Jerry Maguire. We just rewatched Collateral a couple nights ago, and I was just like, kind of blown away by that one all over again. It also has some great Tom Cruise running in it, which I had forgotten. <laughs> but I was like, oh, there, yeah, we we hit it. Um, that it. And I was just watching that thinking like, God, I wish he played more villains. Like he's really, he's really good at this. 
Did you know Jamie Foxx's role was offered to Adam Sandler first? I did. And yeah, I can absolutely see that. But oh, Jamie Foxx is so good in that movie. The yeah. and, and on every choice he makes, even the physical stuff, you never forget that he's this kind of like nerdy i'm i'm just trying to make it up as i go along here type of guy even when you get to the very end and the way he can't get into the train station at first and he has to shoot the glass everything about the way he goes through that and then makes that choice it's so perfectly in character he is so good in that and just like even the scene where he has to pretend to be Tom Cruise's character and he starts quoting things Tom Cruise, Vincent had said earlier, and he's just putting on this performance where it's like, he's mostly pulling this off, but not quite the performance within the performance. Oh dude, they're both so perfectly cast in that movie. I had forgot, like I knew, you know, Oh, this is kind of an outlier performance for Tom Cruise. This is really good. I had forgotten that Jamie Foxx is like, perfect in that film yeah he's a great actor for sure for sure for sure for sure speaking of great actors in my opinion i'm gonna throw out con air nicholas cage <laughs> yeah yeah just i just loved it i grew up with it con air face off you know all of those it, snake eyes i loved i loved him in uh gone in 60 seconds it's just that's my quintessential cage era but yeah he's just I love that movie. I love John Malkovich, uh, Steve Buscemi, like their performances, so crazy. But I'd imagine people would think of it as a bad film. You you enjoy it. I did. Yeah, John Cusack is in it. The cast for that movie is insane. That's a really fun era of movies. And I mean, that run that Nicolas Cage went on, you know, with The Rock and uh, like, that was a really fun, that was a really fun era. Not all of those movies work for me, but um, a lot of them, I just... I definitely have a soft spot for, and there is just something Con Air is a lot of fun because it is so absolutely ridiculous. Um, the same way that what I said about Mortal Kombat about just like, this knows what it is. It knows what it's trying to be and it knows why you came to see it. And it's just going to be that. I, I love that. I love that about that, that movie. And just the, what's What is Nicholas Cage's character's name in that? Cameron Poe. Cameron Poe. 90s action movies what were we doing (laughs) oh my god (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i actually i keep a picture of him right here and this is my in my office oh there he is (laughs) (laughs) oh man i find it important that you know if you're having a down moment i want to just look up there and i want to see him and i think he sees me so well there you go look up but there's (laughs) that's that piece of advice again it's amazing (laughs) that's it now if i'm outside i'm going to look up and imagine nicholas cage's face in the sky looking back at me that's calming (laughs) i think you know face off was one of my favorite episodes of hey do you remember i mean just revisiting that movie thinking about that era of filmmaking of Nicolas Cage's career just it's it's something else he's such a good actor like sincerely like when he he can turn in amazing performances like adaptation and leaving Las Vegas and you know so many other ones I don't know if you saw this but just I think the last week there was something on Twitter that went viral where some like some 20 something 
posted about you know, there's this new Nick Cage movie pig and some of his other more recent stuff. They said like this person tweeted something about like, what's going on? Like did, did Nicholas Cage just decided to become a really good actor the past couple of years. And then somebody replied Tell me you've never seen a movie made before 2000 without telling me you've never seen a movie made before <laughs> 2000. And it was just like, yeah, where the fuck have you been? Like that, the way he started his career, uh, Nicolas Cage is a really, really tremendous actor. I know at this point it's kind of devolved into like self-parody and he's the cartoon version of Nicolas Cage. Um, I understand why that's so pervasive. And it sucks that he's in a situation where he's just got to be cranking out movies left and right, just doing anything that comes his way, but he's not doing it cynically. And, you know, I just heard from somebody that has worked on a couple of the lower budget Nicolas Cage movies where he just shows up for a few days, gets paid and and then goes on his way. Even in those circumstances with uh, a movie that's not very good, everyone there knows it's not going to be very good, uh, that he's not there because he's passionate about it. Mm-hmm. Even then, they said he is so nice and so respectful to every single person on the crew, all the way down. It doesn't matter how low on the totem pole you are. He treats everyone the same. And when he shows up, he shows up. And it's like, and you can watch him in things. And even in those movies, he's finding ways to keep himself interested and entertained. And a lot of that time, it means that we get the cartoon version of him. He just, he goes too far. But yeah, there is a great actor still in there. Uh, Moonstruck and Leaving Las Vegas. It just Adaptation is one of my favorite movies. Yeah, he's he's an incredible actor. Yeah, for sure. I think he will make a he will if he's it, maybe it sounds like he's doing that, but I think he'll make a comeback. I like I'm saying it here now. In the next five to eight years, I reckon he'll win an Oscar for something, and then we'll go back. I mean, Pig is really incredible. It it was not at all what I thought it was going to be. And he's the kind of spellbinding in it. It's a really really good performance and really different from a lot of the other stuff he's been doing recently. So, yeah, I'm with you. I agree. I'll check it out. Sounds good. And so what's your final one? Oh boy. Okay. Um, I will wrap this up with, let me see here. Okay. I'm going to go with Constantine, the Keanu Reeves movie, which is a terrible adaptation of the Hellblazer comics, but a really good movie when taken on its own terms. I love the Hellblazer comics and the John Constantine character. And, uh, that's not what the movie is. It's not that you have to treat it as something separate from the source material and if you can make that distinction if you can take that leap i think there is a lot to love in that movie and actually i kept talking about prison break earlier peter stormare his Mm. performance in that is just like it's that alone is it's a that's the reason to watch the movie but tilda swinton is in there doing amazing work and it just some of the imagery constantine's a good movie it's just not a it's not a good adaptation, but it's a good movie. He was riding high from the Matrix, still, right? Well, maybe, maybe not as high because the, after the, that was after the sequels, wasn't it? Yeah, but yeah, you know, still like Keanu Reeves, you know, who's he's never really faded, has he? I mean, he's had like dips and everything, but he's never like for the same reasons you were saying about Nicolas Cage. He's like known for just being the nicest human ever, right? 
Yeah. Well, my final one is going to sort of stick with this trend. It's one that, you know, it doesn't take itself seriously, but it makes me cry every single time. It is Armageddon. Oh, okay. I would have loved it if that, I don't know if that would have fitted in with Hey Do You Remember, if like uh, it might have been, I think it was like maybe 2000, was it? Or maybe it was 99. 99, I think. Yeah, we would have, uh, I feel like that was, oh, it definitely was discussed multiple times. And I can tell you that the most recent time it came up, I seem to remember Carlos suggesting it and me thinking like, yeah, I, okay. If we can't think of anything else we agree on, I would be okay with that. And then Donna looking at the running time of Armageddon and going, no, no, (laughs) (laughs) absolutely not. (laughs) Um, And I I sympathize. I had that moment too. There were a couple of things. We almost, we came very, very close to doing Love Actually as one of our Christmas episodes. And... um, and then I, I went and looked up to see if it was streaming anywhere. And I was like, whoa, hold up. Love Actually is two and a half hours long. No, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Maybe somewhere down the road, but no. And I think we did Christmas Vacation instead. And, and so Donna had that moment with Armageddon of just like, no. <laughs> well, how did you feel about Armageddon? Was it one for you or one that you went into? Not so much. I just, I... I appreciate that Michael Bay has his fans. It, that stuff's just, it's not, it's really, his style is not for me. Um, and never, it really never has been. Even when I was kind of at the the perfect age for his style and sensibilities, even then it just, it didn't do much for me. So again, I don't want to take it away from anyone that loves that stuff, but he's, his stuff just doesn't really work for me. I mean, it kind of, I mean, that, that if it came out in 99, so yeah, that would have come out when I was 12. It kind of hit me in that moment of, yeah, I do want to see a bomb in a 360 rotating motion. And yeah, I do <laughs> yeah. suddenly want an American flag in slow motion just to remind us of the stakes. And then, I, you know, it, <laughs> it kind of works when you're that age, I think. So, well, I, yeah. I mean, the only thing I like less than Michael Bay is people that are trying to do that. And then it's what makes you appreciate, even if it's not for me, how good he is at that stuff that it's, Mm -hmm. you can't, that's a really hard thing to copy. We've seen people try. I mean, actually, I think Simon West is the director of Con Air and that's a director who a lot of his movies, I'm just like, I I see what you're trying to do. It's really (laughs) not at the level that he's executing it. So even if I'm not a huge fan of it, I understand why, I mean, he has his fans and that he is really good at what he does so yeah for sure for sure well this has been an absolute an absolute pleasure an honor even <laughs> so for it has i i was more nervous I, at the beginning not when we got into it talking to you than i was talking to icebox you know so that's absurd uh, but i man <laughs> I'm very flattered though. Thank I've you. heard your voice like walking my dog, driving long drive, you know, for hours upon hours upon hours, you know. Yeah, it's one of them surreal things where it feels like I know you and I'm just to say that I appreciate 
you know all of the work that you and Carlos and Donna did and you know and that you continue to do because it is like like these bad movies not that that's a bad podcast <laughs> but there it's a comfort for me you know like I it's uh especially when you're in like during the pandemic and lockdowns where it's quite lonely and there's times where you know unlucky that was you know in in my house with my wife but you know you're not around people as much you could put on one of these podcasts and it feels like you're around people it's a a comforting feeling so I appreciate that as I'm sure so many you know of you of your listeners do but everybody check the links below so we'll have links there to rogues gallery to hey do you remember so you can catch up on the back catalog and then where can people like find you on you know well you're not really that active on social media, but you know, if they do want to get involved, where can yeah. they find you at? Um, and so I, just because I don't post all the time, I do, if somebody reaches out, I, it's not like I'm a ghost. I will, I will reply. So, um, I'm on Twitter. Um, I'm most active on Instagram probably. So you can find, I have personal accounts there. We also have the 27th letter accounts, which is the production company and kind of the hub for all of this stuff. Um, all of those are are great ways to follow along if you want to great well i'll put all of the links all of those below so check that out and yeah thank you so much for your time i i thoroughly enjoyed this and yeah just con- like wishing you continued success with everything that you do and looking forward to seeing the you know the next episodes of lucy chandler and yeah appreciate it thank you oh thank you so much this really it was a pleasure thank you <laughs>